0: You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hey, Live Different Podcast listeners, are you looking to get out of your comfort zone, put the things that we talk about on the Live Different Podcast into practice? If so, come and check out Under 30 Experiences and travel the world. Under 30 Experiences is open to ages 21 to 35. Come down and visit me in the jungle of Costa Rica, Go and explore Mayan ruins in Mexico and Belize. Hike the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. Go to street parties in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Come to see the historical colonial city of Cartagena, Colombia. Drink wine in France. Go down to Barcelona. Uh, Why not check out Ireland and Scotland and London Glacier Walk in Iceland, we go all over the place, Bali, Indonesia, I can't remember where else we go, but there are amazing places for you to check out, and I suggest that you do. I'm the co-founder of Under 30 Experiences, and if you put in the code Different upon checkout, you'll get $100 off. So go to under30experiences.com, get out of your comfort zone, travel to a faraway land, and meet new people. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I am your host, Matt Wilson, and today I am here with Tom Bilyeu, the CEO and co-founder of Impact Theory. He has a podcast and a YouTube channel that you are really going to like. And he was the co-founder, no longer with the company, but Quest Nutrition, who has become a massive success. They are ultimately ranked number two on the Inc. 500 list. And uh, Tom and I have some mutual friends. We were introduced by uh, Jordan Harbinger from the Art of Charm, uh, Daniel DiPiazza, who's... Been a uh, long time uh, guest here on the Live Different podcast. He's been a guest a bunch of times, and uh, I know he's a buddy of yours. So, Tom, I just wanted to to take this forty five minutes to an hour to really get to know you and your story. And uh, you come highly recommended, and I know you can share a lot with our with our audience here. What's going on, Tom?
1: Not much, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, so you're, you're out in L.A. and uh, so you have impact theory. And, and I, as I understand, well, as it states, just very easily on the top of the website for anybody to find out that it's all about mission and mindset and team and uh, trying to really shift people's belief systems. Is that a good way to describe it?
1: Yeah, definitely. So our thinking is that to really help the next generation of companies, what we have to do is help people extract the ideology that's going to give them the mindset that will allow them not only to be successful at executing a business, but to really build a business based on um, things that are going to resonate with millennials and Gen Z, which I think is totally changing the business landscape. And that is um, they want authentic connection. They want transparency. And so we're trying to leverage the power of narrative to really convey some of these um, really powerful uh, mindset elements that are going to help them be successful.
0: That's awesome. And uh, just, just going through your, your lists of guests, uh, lists of episodes on your, on your podcast and on your, your YouTube channel there. I mean, you've had anybody from, of course, everyone's podcast favorite, Tim Ferriss, but guys like Wyclef and Sean White, and uh, yeah, Michael Strahan, I saw on there. Uh, T.O. Terrell Owens, that must have been a real. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to download that one. That must have been a real interesting conversation. Um, but it sounds like you've been able to, to attract a, a, a pretty good, uh, yeah, a pretty good guests on on your podcast. I, I can only imagine that you've learned a ton.
1: No question. And that's, I mean, as I'm sure you well know, that's one of the real joys of of what's going on in podcasts and social media in general is being able to connect with just some incredible people who have really made it part of their mission to give back by sharing what they've learned. And, you know, there's so many amazing people out there that have learned some pretty powerful lessons and their willingness to share is is something that I'm really excited about and really honored that so many cool people have come on. And, you know, it's, it's neat It's, you know, like you were saying, there's really a whole ecosystem of these people out there and um, the fact that you and I both know Daniel and Jordan um, and those are two guys doing just incredible things with their own podcasts who are really trying to help, you know, me and I'm sure you make other connections and um, just am so grateful for that ecosystem. It's really, really cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of, that's one of the things that I just always genuinely ask people after we're done is, "Hey, who are you looking to meet? Who could I pass uh who could I pass your name along to or who I can introduce you to?" Because that's a, one of the easiest ways that you can add value to someone and um yeah, it's nice to get connected in that, uh, especially in the podcast space. But anywhere, I mean, if you if you just asked everyone you came across uh, that same question, I'm I'm sure you would go it would get you pretty far. No question. Yeah. Um, so so Tom, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your story and familiarize our listeners who might not be so familiar with your work. But can you take uh, take us through a little bit your, your quest nutrition days, and uh, then what you're, and then yeah into what you're doing now exactly.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I've had maybe an atypical uh, trajectory, and about 15 years ago, I was hired by the guys who would end up becoming my business partners as a copywriter, and they were launching a technology company. And they met me and had heard some of my ideas on how to take marketing and influence buying behavior. And they said, "Hey, look, you know, you're coming to the world right now with your hand out. You really need to come." and learn the ways of an entrepreneur so that you can control the resources. And in controlling the resources, you can really control your own destiny. And so come be a copywriter with us. And don't think of yourself as a copywriter, though. Really see the opportunities to grow within the company. You can have any job in the company that you want. You just have to become the right person for that role. And I was just young enough and maybe just dumb enough to take them seriously. And so I dove in and really um, put myself to the task of learning as many new skills as I could, becoming invaluable, learning how to actually execute and move my way up in the company. And by the time we sold that company, um, I had made myself a partner purely through Sweat Equity, um, I had 10% ownership and uh, had made myself the chief marketing officer of that company. And then we exited that and we were thinking of, you know, what was going to be the next thing. And for three very different reasons, that ended up being nutrition. And, you know, we had this crazy vision for what we could found. And so we um, founded Quest Nutrition. And the way that we came about that, and and I've often joked about this, was Quest was really born out of misery. And it was a reaction to me uh, about a year and a half, two years before we ended up selling the company. I went to the guy. And I said, look, I, I quit. I can't do this anymore. Chasing money is just totally um, soul destroying. It sucked. And I did not want to keep doing it. And... I, at that point, you know, my whole life, I'd been chasing money and really wanted to get wealthy. And that was like my driving force and just realized, you know, I'm making more money than I've ever made and I'm completely miserable. And so there's got to be a better way. And so I was going to, you know, leave and pursue my passion. And, you know, whether I made money at it or not was totally irrelevant to me. I just really, really wanted to be connected to something that made me feel alive.
0: What about making money made you miserable? I know that must be a tough question. Or maybe it's an easy one. I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, it's actually really easy. And I think that at the end of the day, the human animal is just designed to... master skills, follow their passion, connect with people, add value. I mean, those are things that are really ingrained in us. And so I was mastering skills and that was awesome, but I wasn't connecting with people. I wasn't really adding value as a company. We weren't focused on, you know, creating something that was just amazing and changing people's lives. We were trying to create something that was good, that filled a niche in the market and then be clever marketers and get people to buy it. But we weren't, it, you know, it was um, security software. So it wasn't something that we were passionate about. wasn't something that made me feel alive in any grand way. And so I was just really looking to tap into something that made me feel alive, that made me feel like I was contributing. Um, And so for three very different reasons, uh, my partners and I decided that we were going to go into nutrition. And from my perspective, what got me excited about that was I grew up in a morbidly obese family and I wanted to help and I wanted to see my mom and my sister happy, and I knew that um, until we could get them into a positive relationship with food and get them um, feeling better about themselves, that you know, we were never going to win. So there's a great quote, often attributed to Mother Teresa, though I can't track down if she's the one that actually said it, uh, but it's powerful regardless of who said it. And it's, nobody will act for the many, but people will act for the one. And for me, it was, you know, thinking about my mom and my sister. And when you're fatigued and exhausted, to have something more than money, to have something that really you're connected to and inspires you and makes you want to push through and do great things, like that's how you fight hard enough to really achieve success. And so that's what we tapped into. So it wasn't that – making money made me unhappy. It was the pursuit of money to the exclusion of other things that really just doesn't um, jive with the human animal. It's not what we're wired to do. And when you think about money, money's really inert. You know, Other than burning it to release heat energy, um, it really doesn't do anything. It's a facilitator and it makes other things possible. So like look at Bill Gates, he's gonna end malaria and he's gonna do it because he has access to resources. So once you know what you want to do with the money, Then it gets really interesting. But if you don't know what you want to do with the money, and it's literally the acquisition of money for the sake of money, you begin to realize, like, why do I want this so bad? Like, why am I willing to suffer for this? So until you get to that second thing, which is the thing that you actually want to do with the money, it's just too empty. You're not going to have the energy to fight.
0: Absolutely, Uh, Tom, I I couldn't agree more. And I, I want to back up before we we can get into, of course, uh, more about really what drives you and how other people can find that within themselves etc but you said something uh, interesting earlier about sweat equity and how you became a partner uh, and you found yourself part of this company merely because it sounded like you worked hard and uh, there are people listening right now who are maybe not to the point to where they're saying, well, I don't have to worry about money. Uh, Or probably saying, I'm no Bill Gates right now. I can't just go out and follow my uh, passion to cure malaria. And yes, we can let you dispel... that myth in a moment but first could you tell us a little bit more how uh, someone can just put in the sweat equity and what what does it take to really be noticed even if they're not a co-founder and how they can kind of hustle their way into uh, maybe an equity position in a company or work their way up the ladder uh, by putting in the sweat
1: yeah, of course, man. So there's a great book by Seth Godin called Lynchpin, and it talks about what it means to really get great at executing and to in any work environment, really stand out from the crowd and what it means to be um, truly great at something. And at the end of the day, like that's the name of the game. The name of the game is is outperforming. and it's something that you know a lot of people uh, aren't necessarily comfortable with. And what I tell people is being undeniable is just that. like if, if you can be denied, then your skill set simply isn't to the place where it's truly undeniable. And so you have to get so good at something that people are afraid to lose you. And if people aren't afraid to lose you, it's because you're not actually as good as you think you are. And so, you know, think about Michael Jordan. At one point in his career, Michael Jordan was punching his teammates in the face and yet was still like no one's going to fire him, right? Because Michael Jordan, his level of performance was was just so undeniable. And so you want to be playing at that level. You want to be striving towards that. You want to be getting so good that the results speak for themselves. And and that's the name of the game. And and Seth Godin goes into great detail about how to pull that off and how you have to think and change your mindset in order to get to that place um, in the book Lynchpin. So I highly recommend that people read that. Um, And that's what I tried to do. I tried to get actually good. I tried to get to a place where there was holes in the company, nobody was filling them. And I wanted to acquire the skill set that was needed to Execute and really fill those holes in in a way that was truly exceptional. And then it can't be denied that um, my partners were the kind of guys that were open to that. And you know, if, if equity is is the name of your game, then you want to make sure um, that you're looking at a startup. You know, there are some big companies that that offer equity. It's by the time you get established, though, the equity that you're going to get a hold of is is more or less token equity. But to really like get some equity in a company without investing. It's going to be taking a risk on something. It's going to be starting with a company before they've got any traction, before they've proven anything, and believing in something and going in you know, when they're tiny, when you can get their attention, when you're working side by side with the founders, and go in and, and just crush it day after day after day for years and years and years. And, you know, that's one of the the parts of the story that's hard for me to convey to people is just how long I was working before I had earned equity. And I didn't ask for raises. And I think at one point there was like a five-year stretch where I was making the same amount of money. And I just I just never even asked because that wasn't my goal. My goal was to get equity in the company. And I remember when they finally did give me a raise, they said, we're literally embarrassed that um, it's been this long. But for me, it was like, whether I get you know, a bump now or a year from now or two years from now is irrelevant. That's not the play. And so it's understanding what your goals are and then acting in accordance with that. I wanted them to be embarrassed. I wanted them to think, oh my God, like this guy has delivered so much more value than anybody else for such an extended period of time, never coming with this handout, always just over-delivering. Then then there was a chance for that. And and they had said from the beginning, you know, look, if you if you deliver that kind of extraordinary, exceptional value, there is a chance. And and they ended up staying true to that. So, you know, that's really finding people that think like that, that are at a stage in their career where that makes sense for them. So it's got to be super early in the life cycle so that they know that you're taking a risk, that you're not asking to be paid top dollar. You know, there, there have to be reasons why they would, um, extend that offer.
0: No, I, and I've, I've read Lynchpin and I've recommended it actually to a, a few of uh, my key employees and they have uh, become indispensable so uh, that's great advice there and now I want to let you uh, dispel that myth I'm sure people have said to you in the past oh cool Tom you want to go out and uh, you know do this altruistic thing well what if I didn't start a bajillion dollar company how do you react when people say that to you
1: yeah, I mean, look, everybody, I get what they're saying, and I, I totally empathize, but the reality is that um, at some point, I just made the decision that I was only going to make money if I could do it pursuing something that I believed in, that I was passionate about, that I felt delivered value, and that was a key insight for me to understand that I could make the demand that I make because you know I've, I've ended up generating a lot of wealth, but I didn't generate wealth until I said, I'm going to put the customer first. I'm going to deliver value first. I'm going to try to make this relationship between company and customer disproportionate value creation so that they have this sense of, I can't believe they're willing to sell me this product at this price and and give me all this ecosystem value. So it's not just the product, it's the whole ecosystem of support um, that we are offering to people, free content. I mean, we were doing free content before that was like a thing, before people understood that. Content marketing is really the way in this day and age we were doing it just because we wanted to deliver value I didn't want you to um, feel like we were trying to sell you I wanted you to see like hey, we're gonna create recipes and we're gonna create how-to videos and we're gonna do educational stuff all because we want you to be able to get more out of this relationship than you give and We're living through this amazing time where social media makes that possible, where delivering value is the most powerful marketing message that you could have. And so I get it. But at the end of the day, uh, any job, because that hiding in that comment is the sense of, well, I can't, I have bills to pay, right? Totally respect that. And as um, did I, and, you know, spent a very long time um, in that situation, but you only spend about 50% of your waking hours at your job. So that leaves the remaining 50% to do whatever you want. And that could be spend time with your family. That could be play video games. That could be travel. It could be work hard. And so it really comes down to what you want. And I don't place a value judgment like there. I am a horrific role model for parents. I don't have kids, so that's not a conflict for me. I don't have to give time um, to kids, and that was a very conscious choice because I wanted to give my 50%, um, you know, the remaining 50% of my hours to building an empire, and that, that's what's important to me. That's not better. It's just what's important to me. That was me being honest about what I want to do, the impact that I want to have in the world, and so... Um, I dedicated myself to that and, you know, didn't take days off and worked for, uh, with the exception of like a random day here or there and Christmas, um, I didn't take time off for years. So, you know, but that's what I wanted, and I'm not recommending that for other people. It's just clarity on what you want. So if you want to spend the rest of your time just being the most amazing mom or dad, then be at peace with that's probably not going to lead you to massive financial wealth. But, man, if you're fulfilled and you feel good and you're living the life that you want, then that's all that matters.
0: Man, that's, uh, that's awesome. And, and I hope that as uh, as society progresses and becomes more forward-thinking and I, but we'll see this I'm I'm Gen Y uh, and, and I can imagine that well I'm 31 years old and most of my friends do not have children absolutely do not have children and most of my friends really aren't close to having children I don't know if that's just the network that I hang out in or what uh, but it'll be interesting as people are making a more conscious choice. We're, uh, we're not the baby boomers. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just that thing that you do is just have, have kids. And uh, I don't know. Do you, do you think people are getting a lot more conscious? It's, it's uh, kind of a, a side note here, but it's an interesting topic of, of conversation. Do you think people are, are taking that theory because you look at other people with kids and you really do have to ask, why the hell do those people have children? So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's really a couple things going on. So there's two things that have a massive impact on birth rate. And those are when you educate women, birth rate declines. And when you have good health care, birth rate declines. So you put those together and then generational differences and people realizing that there are so many other opportunities and having role models that aren't having kids. And so it becomes sort of a, an increasing thing where you know the generation or two before you where women have had tremendous education opportunities that were just unprecedented historically here in the US and you know you can still say that there's a lot of disparity and I think over time we'll we'll get through that as well but there's just been a lot more opportunities for women, um, both in education and in the workplace. And so they're finding fulfillment in things other than having children. And, you know, children seems like, at least from my perspective, to be a very powerful path to fulfillment. And I think a lot of people get a ton of fulfillment out of that. And, and that's really been the thing for me that was a key part of my decision to not have kids was I really looked at it and said, I bet it's amazing. I bet having kids would be awesome. And so I come from the standpoint of I really want kids. It's just the only thing that I want more than I want kids is to not have kids. And, but it was, you know, really like a, a, a thing I had to think through. And so it comes down for me to fulfillment. And when people have other opportunities and other things that make them feel alive, they, you know, just some percentage of them choose that. And then that creates a generation of role models for the next generation who look at that and go, wow, like that person's doing amazing things. They seem very happy. Um, and they don't have kids. So it's not the only path. I think it's an incredibly amazing path, and I'm very grateful that some people are doing it, um, but it's you know, showing people that there are options.
0: Man, that, that's cool, and that, that really clicked for me, and, and clearly, you, clearly you had really thought that out and, and even were was able to back that up with, hey, as you educate women – uh, birth rates decline, and so that that really shows uh, shows the amount of time that you've put into into thinking about that. And yeah, it's about finding fulfillment. And sure, you could serve uh, one or two or nine little people, however many kids you want to pop out, or you could go and, and put that time. Uh, you know using something like technology and being able to serve uh thousands or millions of people and and neither are, are right or wrong but we certainly need we need certainly good parents and we certainly need people putting out good content online i think both of those things are, are admirable so uh yeah i, I appreciate that you've taken that much time thinking about that decision
1: oh dude for sure
0: yeah um so Impact theory. All right. So you have the show. uh, And then what's next? It it sounds like you have uh, you formed a team um, and there might be some incubating of companies coming along. But can you tell me a little bit more about your, your long term vision for impact theory? Yeah, definitely.
1: So there's two sides to it. There's the incubation of companies. We want to help really bring the next generation of companies online, um, help them learn to execute and be a facilitator on that side. And then the other is we want to um, basically reinvent Disney. And if you look at what Disney's done, it's, it's really astonishing and amazing. And I asked myself, what would Disney look like if they were founded today? And I think that they would be highly social. Um, I think that they would use crowdsourcing. Um, I think that they would uh, really be uh, a fundamentally different company in execution, though there would be a lot of spiritual similarities. And what I mean by that is Disney is one of the few studios um, that looked at The world from the perspective of as a studio, we have to have something that we stand for. And they were really trying to capture the magic of childhood and bring that not only to kids, but to adults and tell modern fairy tales. And I think that in doing that, they were really a studio that was creating just a ton of empowering mythology that had great stories. um, And It's not necessarily the ideology that I want to bring to the world, but it showed that a studio could mean something to people and that when you went to see a Disney movie, you knew what that meant. And so that's what we want to do. And I believe that there is this connection between narrative and um, just mindset. And then it's mindset that drives companies and so that's the through line for us between wanting to create traditional narrative and empowering the next generation of people making the companies that will ultimately change the world and this came from me asking no bs um, what what would it take to change the world and to end What I call generational poverty now generational poverty to me has nothing to do with money and has everything to do with mindset and I've worked a lot in the inner cities and I've seen just the the way that it gets passed from generation to generation this entrapping mindset is you know your parents, they have a certain worldview. That worldview is very limited. That worldview is a scarcity mentality. It's uh, bundled in fear. And so they pass it on to their kids and, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that doesn't mean that if you start in the inner cities that you don't have more to overcome, you do. But there are so many stories of people that do overcome that. And our goal is to give people everywhere that mindset. And there's a guy doing his doctoral thesis and neuroscientists have been talking about this for a long time, uh, but how do humans assimilate truly disruptive information. So how do you change somebody's world view? Because to me, that world view is going to dictate the rest of their lives. And the way that you get a human being to change their world view is through narrative. It's the only way that science has shown is actually possible. So to, to really foster the next generation of companies to actually end the um, poverty of mindset, I believe the only way to effectively attack that is... Um, through narrative, and so when looking at that problem, I knew that we were going to have to be on both sides: narrative and um, incubating companies.
0: Okay, so can you walk uh, walk me through the narrative a, a little bit more about how? Uh, maybe give us something actionable. Now, now most of our listeners, uh, I, I can't imagine that they're all uh, in the inner city right now. You know, maybe they've they've come along into a um, Uh, What's the best way to put this into a socioeconomic situation where somebody might have turned them on to this podcast or could stumble? I mean, yeah, anybody can come across it, but uh, for the most part, I assume that the the audience here is uh, pretty well educated, has come from. Probably modest means, uh, but if you're still at home and you still are not where you want to be, or or you are at home and you're the personal development nerd who who listens to this podcast, can you can you talk about that mind shift a little bit and what the nuts and bolts are of going and changing your mindset?
1: Yeah, for sure. So the personal development nerds they'll they'll already get um, you know what I'm talking about. So the reason that I use the inner cities, as an example, is is not because it's they're the only people for whom this makes sense. They're just the extreme example of where you can literally drive through the neighborhood and see just a lack of beauty. Um, you can hear the rhetoric rhetoric of people who don't believe that they can escape their surroundings. Um, but it, everyone exists on a spectrum, right? So on the one hand, you've got let's say a, um, a monk who's self actualized, and over there on that spectrum with him is a self made billionaire who's you know to just change the way that they view the world in order to execute at the highest level. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you may have somebody who grew up in a wealthy environment, but they just they don't believe that they can escape their past, or um, they believe that their value is tied to money, or you know whatever other trapping belief that they have. And then also on that end of the spectrum um, are some of the people that that I've encountered um, through working in the inner cities, where um, you know they believe that the only way out of the inner cities is through sport or music. And they don't understand that as a human, the mind is plastic, and you can learn any new skill that you want. And so, if they set their mind to acquiring skills in a certain direction that would allow them to get out, um, either just to being a linchpin, you know, like we were talking about earlier, and truly be a key performer at a company, or to start their own company, or to um, innovate, invent something, you know, it, it, it all comes down to, to mindset. So the traditional narrative. What we're trying to do there is where there's a book written by a man named joseph campbell called the power of myth and he was the one that helped george lucas put together the mythology that ultimately became star wars and what he was saying is that through all time and all cultures we're basically telling this one story that he called the hero's journey over and over and over and hiding in mythology is the ideology for how people should be living their lives and he said that worked for you know tens of thousands of years and only stopped working because we reached a point where people knew that the mythology was fake And once you know that Star Wars is just a story, then you're not looking to extract the wisdom that's actually contained in the movie. So for thousands of years, you know, people would hear a story about the gods being locked in battle or a human being being punished for not listening to the gods. And so people actually listened to the stories and they took away from that how they were supposed to live their lives. But now we're living in this era where We have plenty of mythology, there's plenty of things you could extract deep wisdom from, but you dismiss it as a story. But now I think with the advent of social media, we can create this narrative that tells stories about you know, going from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, uh, which I'll call the new hero's journey. Mm -hmm. And then use social media to comment on that so people can see the information that they're meant to extract out of that, which I think is how you'll get an entire generation of people that are empowering themselves, that become the self-improvement nerds that you were talking about, um, that really go on to, to actually have the change in the world that we want. And, you know, you only need to look at technology and how rapidly it's changing our world to understand like we're living through a time of unprecedented change. And I think that it's providing an opportunity for more and more people to contribute to that culture of change. But we have to give them the ideology, the things to know what to say yes to, what to say no to, um, and, and then just how to execute.
0: So, how did you change that mindset for yourself? Did, or, or maybe you were born with it, or maybe your parents instilled it in you. But if you went, went out there and said, All right, uh, I'm a hustler, I'm going to go and make something of myself, and you absolutely did, how did you find that within yourself?
1: So uh, my, I definitely wasn't born with it. I am not a born entrepreneur. I wish I was. That looks so cool. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't the kid with a lemonade stand. I uh, wasn't the kid that was selling baseball cards. Like I, I was my parents taught me to be a good employee, which was to keep my head down do as little work as possible, and avoid punishment at all costs. That's how I was raised, and that's where I really spent you know, my entire life up to my mid-20s. And it wasn't until I started to really look at the goals that I was setting for myself and then asking, what do I actually need to do to hit those goals? And realizing that there was a discrepancy between my behavior and what I was saying that I wanted. And I realized that the thing that was holding me back was I had built my self-esteem around being smart, I'm being right. And when you build your self-esteem around that, you go into ego protective behavior. So I was trying to put myself in situations where I actually was the smartest person in the room, uh, which when you have, I just to give you an idea, I got a 990 on my SATs, I took it twice. Um, I'm just not like naturally gifted, but the human mind's ability to adapt is astonishing. So I started reading a lot and started practicing a lot at getting good at things at learning new skills, at putting those skills to the test, at being willing to admit that I was wrong, that I didn't need to value myself on being smart, that I could recognize that I could get smarter over time. But to to really get better at something, first you have to admit that you're bad at it so that you'll actually do the work. And so I just got really good at adm- admitting the things that I wasn't good at and really staring nakedly at my inadequacies and being able to do that and then say, okay, I'm not gonna freak out about this. It's okay to be bad at something, uh, because I can get good at anything that I decide to put my mind to.
0: Huh. Okay. And uh, it, it just didn't happen to be math and English and taking an SAT test, and that's okay. And I can, I can totally. Re- I think I too got a nine ninety on my SATs. I think might have broken a thousand. I now, I, now that I haven't <laughs> bragged about this in a while, uh, but yeah. So, you, so you just said. Well screw it I can I can do this that yeah there are some inadequacies but I can figure it out that that was just it was that simple
1: I mean it Yes, it's that simple. It's not easy. So the big breakthrough for me was beginning to study neuroanatomy. So I realized, okay, wait a second. I experienced this world with my brain, but I don't understand my brain. So I don't understand the tricks that it's pulling. And all you need to do, like go on YouTube and type in like um, uh, optical illusion, and you'll see like just in the realm of optical illusions, how many crazy perceptual problems that the brain has. And once you realize that the brain is encased in total darkness and silence, and yet creates this world that you can see and experience and touch and move through, but it's doing that through neurochemical signals, you begin to realize that the brain is constructing this reality. You are not in any way, shape or form seeing objective reality. But the construct that it makes is very powerful and very usable, but you have to understand which parts of it are working for you and which parts of it are working against you and begin to to optimize the things that the brain does well, such as adapt to change and then Um, move away from the things that the brain does poorly that I think holds you back, which is from an evolutionary perspective, your brain actually has three layers. So at the center is what they call the lizard brain, then on top of that is the mammalian brain, and then on top of that is the neocortex. This is actually real, by the way. That is how your brain is structured. And it's the neocortex that allows you to do all this incredible stuff. But if you don't understand that hiding in there is a lizard brain that filters everything through an amygdala, which tells you how to emotionally respond to something, controls fear, anxiety, all those things, like most people would rather be the one in the coffin than the one giving the eulogy. Now, that – like just right away should tell you that's crazy. That doesn't make any logical sense, but that's your brain trying to protect you from social ostracization, right? So, hey, don't get up and give that speech because you might embarrass yourself. You might make a fool out of yourself. And so it's trying to protect you from that. It does that by spiking your anxiety, by dumping cortisol on the brain. And you have to learn to unwind things like that. So the reason that most people are not out there becoming the greatest in the world at something is because they're afraid. They're afraid of failing. Um, They're afraid of looking stupid. And it really is the people that are able to overcome those fears that are able to go on to do the extraordinary. They're not the people that are necessarily naturally more gifted, although that early wins in something can propel you forward. Um, But you don't need early wins to to get great at at something. And, you know, look how many, some absurd percent, like 30% of all self-made billionaires are dyslexic. And, you know, one potential reason for that is, they got ridiculed endlessly as kids, they thought they were stupid, and so they pushed so hard against that and were so hell bent to prove that they had value that they end up overshooting the mark and doing something extraordinary, so you certainly don't have to start with a great hand in order to win
0: yeah absolutely i mean if you I really like what you said at the very end about all right you you oftentimes uh you said overshoot the mark is is that what you said you uh um, yeah yeah, and I mean. That's what. if you're, there's another expression, another way to look at it, uh, something like aim for, the, uh, aim for the stars, land on the moon. I, I know that sounds incredibly corny, but there, there's another way to look at it is, you know, swing for the fences, right? And okay, hitting a double or triple is, isn't so bad either. Um, that's, that's the uh, converse of, of that. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, and, and maybe it is a little corny, but I love it. So yeah, 100. percent
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally hear you, and um, I feel that okay. Sure, I've been the always the born entrepreneur. I guess I, again, uh, sound sounds a little bit corny, but I actually did have the lemonade stand and the the baseball cards, yes. and I'd I'd probably sell you the same at both at the same time when I was when I was eight years old if I could, um, but. You know, there are uh, people out there who are saying, okay, um, well, well, I guess to back up a little bit, sure, you have that motivation or you said, okay, screw it, but it wasn't It w- wasn't easy. I had to put in the work. And, and I, too, have gone through and tried to learn a, mu- as much about neurology uh, and, and my neuroscience as I possibly can and what makes my brain work the best. And just because I got some, you know, when I was 17 years old, I got a 990 or whatever on it, my SATs. Well, it doesn't really matter, but I wanted to ask you what your, what your hacks were, uh, or, or forget the term hacks, because that often says that that means that's the short way about it, Where did you have to put in the work, uh, and and where would you suggest that the listeners might go and and put their time and effort into trying to develop themselves?
1: Uh, For me, it really is all about the brain and learning to execute. And I've actually created a reading list that are the 25 books in order uh, that I think anybody should read if they really, really want to empower themselves. Um, So you can find that at impacttheory.com. Um, and that that's the order. And it really starts with going from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, um, learning about neuroplasticity and understanding the way that the, bo- the brain responds to change, um, to practice, to um, just really acquiring a skill through um, discipline practice. And the book sort of, the, the 25 books basically attack that same point from a bunch of different angles. So from looking at cognitive biases and the way that that the brain is tricking you, um, looking at things like linchpin is on the list, um, just really understanding what it means to be great at something, how you acquire skills, the, um, what it means to have grit, which is Grit is another book on the list, and you know, just really reimagining the world as entirely in your control and that any set of skills is yours to acquire once you believe that it's possible and then understand the steps that it takes to execute against that.
0: That's really cool. I'm going through your your list right now, and I've I've probably read at least half. Uh, but one that popped out that I haven't read is, the Talent Code. Greatness isn't born; it's grown. Here's how. Or even if you think you were born with it, right? Which I don't actually think I was born with any any special talent. Uh, but you got to put in the work no matter who you are, and that's that's why, you know, they say the rich get richer or someone who is really sharp and that they do want to put in the mindset uh, or they do want to put in the work and they don't just want to coast. Yeah, those people become very successful. Uh, and then there's the other people like the dyslexic billionaire, billionaire as you mentioned. Okay, those uh, people were the were the immigrant entrepreneur types where they started with absolutely nothing and uh, they're the they're the huge overachievers. Um, but yeah, you got to put in the work at the at the end of the day, um, Tom. So so you seem to be a, a voracious leader, or at least you've read these twenty five books and uh, and gone gone over them probably with a fine tooth comb. Uh, but do you do any? Uh, physical practices it looks like you're in good shape I mean you're a founder of a nutrition company so do you uh, are you into into biohacking and uh, I mean you did found quest nutrition so you're probably into nutrition as well tell me more about that stuff
1: yeah. So I, I've never identified as a biohacker, but I'm, I'm always looking at what works. And one of the things that I do, um, well, I have a pretty religious morning routine. So for me, the morning routine starts the night before. I always make sure that I go to bed um, early. So I'm in bed by 9 o'clock. I don't wake up to an alarm ever. So I just wake up when I wake up. And But for me, I sleep about five to six hours a night. That's my natural rhythm. Um, so I'm waking up anywhere from like 2.30 to 4:30s. I'm usually awake somewhere in there. And then I immediately go to the gym, and I do that for a whole host of reasons, but not the least of which is the brain-body connection. I don't think you can optimize your brain without optimizing your body. Um, so I hit the gym, and then I immediately meditate after that. Uh, which just is, you know, for me is about the balance between the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. And so the sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight, and the parasympathetic nervous system is what they call rest and digest. Uh, So getting yourself to a calm, creative state. And then once I'm in that, which is like an alpha wave state where you're making really unique connections in the brain, I I go immediately into what I call thinkitating. So if meditating is trying to quiet your mind, trying to focus on your breathing instead of, you know, the monkey mind where it's racing from thought to thought... um, it, it does get you in this really creative space. And I just found myself having these amazing ideas, and, but I was always trying to shut them down. And I thought, okay, wait, like there's got to be a better way to do this. So I chase my meditation um, with Thinkitation where I'm in that alpha wave state, I'm coming up with these creative ideas, and I just allow my mind to wander. Um, and, and that's been very powerful for me. And, and some of the better business ideas that I've had have really come through that process. And then once I'm done with that, um, then I read and um, I'm always reading something, and like you said, I, I really am a voracious reader, and I'm so grateful to every human being that's ever taken the time to write down their hard-won knowledge. Um, I'm just just truly, truly grateful for that. And I, There's a quote from Socrates. I'll paraphrase, it's like, um, you know, do yourself a favor, read, learn easily what other people have struggled for. And I've just always thought that was very, very smart. You know, the, there's so many books in the world and, and that really is somebody distilling their knowledge down and trying to make it easy for you. So to not avail yourself of that would be crazy. And then once I finish reading, um, then I have a list of the most important things that I should be focused on, on my business. I go through that list. And um, the thing that should be conspicuously missing and all of that, I don't check email. Um, so I check email probably once or twice a week. And, um, and there's no question that I've missed some opportunities because someone will write me something that's time sensitive and I won't see it. Uh, but I find that that is so much better than letting other people control your time which is what normally happens. You sit down, you check your email, people do it, quite frankly, because they don't know what they should be working on. And so they let the outside world dictate what they work on. And to me, that is a catastrophic um, poor decision. Like it just, it's such a bad way to to run your business. And I encourage people to be embarrassed. If you're checking your email before you've gone through the list of most important things to do, you're literally saying somebody on the outside may know better what I should be doing than I do. Um, And so, yeah, I just, I can't encourage people enough to to really minimize the amount that they check. And if you're going to check it every day, check it once a day, check it later in the day um, and and really give yourself the space to think creatively about what you're trying to do with your business. Um, Nobody's going to know that better than you. So um, yeah, that's, those are my, you know, quote unquote hacks. That's how I um, get things done.
0: Damn, Tom, I'm jealous of a a bunch of things. Uh, First, I wanted to comment that that's fantastic advice about the the email. And uh, of course, that was this concept was heavily popular, popularized by by Tim Ferriss. Right. But uh, the great thing, you know, the great thing is, is, well, the issue that I have right checking my email is then I don't respond to them. I say, oh, no. And then it just sucks my mental energy because I'm thinking I categorize that. Email somewhere in my brain as something I need to get back at, and then I just have a pff, I don't know how many emails 50, 100 pending. Items and then it gets to be a few days and then it gets down in my inbox and then it's, uh, you know, it's two, three hundred emails buried in there and somewhere in there is that one that I have to respond to. Oh, yeah, I had to send my flight information to somebody who is going to pay for my flights. This is this is a real example about something (laughs) I have going right now. And then that happens to be over a week Pending task, a week old, and that's because I read this email probably at 6 o'clock in the morning at some point. And I, I really – I try hard on that. Uh, but the other thing I was going to say is I'm very jealous about your, own, your body only requiring a few hours to sleep. And did you say you wake up between 2.30 and 4.30 in the morning? Yeah. That's – That's awesome. If that works for you, uh, I don't actually know that. Yeah. yeah,
1: I I go to bed early, early. So, um, I go to bed at nine every night. Um, and so for me, I'm, I'm still getting on average, probably about six hours sleep a night. So I am very grateful that I don't need eight or nine hours. Um, but I prioritize sleep and if I needed eight hours, like last night, I just, I, I didn't sleep well. I woke up in the middle of the night, but I was in bed for like nine hours, which for me is just crazy town. But yeah, if that's what my body needs, then so be it. Uh, I always make that the priority.
0: No, that's, that's solid. Our, our morning routines are, uh, are, are fairly similar. Um, I try to get to bed as early as I can. I'm uh, not usually 9, but at least by 10 for sure. But I am an 8 or 9-hour sleeper. Actually, I'm an 8-hour. And then first thing I do is I stick my headphones in my ears and do my hour-long meditation. And that usually – that is a long time in bed. Um, but that gets me set for the day. I'm not a morning uh, workout person, but I completely understand how well uh, that helps you with the meditation process process i mean for people listening who who don't know that yoga is actually the thing that was developed to Quiet the body and quiet the mind before time for meditation. I mean, that's you're you're physically releasing that tension, uh, and that's you know that's what exercise does. Of course, yoga is a sequence of certain uh, asanas that certain movements in your body that are supposed to help you relax and and prepare for that. Right, but uh, yeah, I I totally hear you on. That also is a great way, what you said about the parasympathetic nervous system, then, okay, you were just all amped up. Now you're going to relax, and uh, that's just a great recovery routine also. And then that puts you really easily into that flow state. I I love that. Daniel actually has a similar uh, morning routine to you. I'm pretty sure he works out in the morning, and and he does his writing in the morning. Uh, Yeah, so much to to be said about early mornings, huh?
1: Mm, definitely for me, no question.
0: Yeah, Tom, that's uh, that's really cool. T- tell me quick. Uh, I know we're getting towards the end of the show, but but tell me quick about your specifically what you do for workouts and specifically what you do uh, for your meditation practice. So
1: I'm primarily a weights guy. Um, I will occasionally. I'm actually in a cycle right now where I'm doing some cardio, but for the most point or most part, um, I do weights. I find that way more enjoyable. It's it's uh, that's purely why I do it. I hate cardio, uh, but it does require um, itself sometimes if I'm really trying to to get lean. So um, that's I balance that. Right now I'm in a push pull legs split. So um, it's a three day cycle that repeats. So one day I'm doing push muscle groups, the next day I do pull muscle groups, and then legs, and then repeat. Um, And then I'll follow that with cardio. Right now, like I said not always. Um, and then my meditation is what I call just breathe. So I got it from, um, Mark divine who does seal fit and he's a former Navy seal and, um, just a really simple box breathing technique that, um, I modified to, to, feel more natural to me and to really help me get into that space. Um, So his technique is, is four equal parts. So you've got the inhale, the hold, the exhale, the hold. And for him, all four parts are equal. And I found that that never felt quite right for me. Um, So I do um, a long inhale, a short hold, a fast exhale and a really long hold on the exhale um, and and then just repeat and um, I call it just breathe because when I find my mind wandering I literally say in my head just breathe and I focus on the part of the breath cycle that I'm in to really optimize the quality of that so if it's the inhale to you know really do it low in the diaphragm and really feel that wonderful sensation of a full breath um, and and then you know whatever part of the, the cycle I'm on I'm, I'm focusing on making it as good as it can be and I find that that just quiets the thoughts in my mind because they're totally consumed with the breath.
0: That's awesome. I got actually Mark Divine's uh, yoga book, uh, the Kokoro Yoga. This is you know yes nice. something called Seal Foot uh, Seal Fit. I got that for my dad. I think I got that for his birthday or for Christmas. Um, but I am also on a push pull legs uh, push pull legs routine uh, at nice. the at the current moment. Um, but I was, I was also going to note that I'm hiking the Inca Trail soon, so I'm going to have to start doing more cardio so I can be in shape with our, our mm. travelers. Uh, it's, yeah, four days at, at elevation, so I want to get in shape for that. But also, uh, they say that uh, cardio and sustained cardio, so long bike rides, long runs, this kind of thing is the very best way to actually – and really technically the only way to – uh, regrow brain cells. Uh, br- brain cells r- will regrow, uh, but a- as far as I understand it, the best way for neurogenesis uh, is is through cardio. And uh, they have a There's a most recent study that I read is about rats that they tied wi- weights to and had them do interval training, and it wasn't going nearly as well. Uh, to regrow these, these brain cells in the rats. So we'll see what the, it, we'll see what the humans, uh, studies come out, but, uh, that's always in the back of my mind about making my brain as strong as possible through cardio.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. I am not familiar with those studies. So that's, uh, very fascinating.
0: No, that's uh, yeah. Always like to bring that kind of stuff up as uh, yeah, pass it on to, to other people. And uh, I'll send you that article. There was a New York Times article about it too, and I can link that up in the in the show notes as as well. Um, but Tom, it sounded like you're you're doing a lot of co- cool stuff. Uh, to tell me real quick, but before I let you go, tell uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about what you specifically do for nutrition? And I, I just want to note that um, you know. Everybody listening at home, this is what Tom does, and Tom's a high performer, and that's cool, but it doesn't mean that you have to model yourself after Tom. Tom just said, hey, lifting weights is fun for me. That's what I like to do, and so that works for him, and that keeps him in the gym at some god ungodly hour in the morning, but find what works for you. I always like to, to make sure I say that.
1: Yeah, no, that's really, really smart. So um, I am... I am a very simplistic eater, so I don't mind a high degree of repetition, and I really don't uh, think most people would enjoy the way that I eat, but it looks like this. I eat the same thing um, every day of the week, if that makes sense. So not, not all seven days are the same, but like all Mondays look the same, all Tuesdays look the same, so on and so forth, and they go like this. Uh, Monday through Thursday, I eat um, I'm high protein, and so uh, about uh depending on what time I get up. Well so I eat around eight thirty in the morning. So whether I wake up at two thirty or I woke up at, you know, six, it wouldn't matter. I'm gonna eat around eight, eight thirty. Um and that's gonna be a high protein meal. It's almost always quest chips, uh which yes, full disclosure, I'm one of the co founders, so but this actually is what I eat. <laughs> uh I'll eat um, quest chips, and then um, we make these quest uh, protein peanut butter cups. And so I will have uh, one of those, so the two in a packet of one of those. Uh, then my next meal is um, eggs with euro meat, which is like a Greek meat. My wife happens to be Greek, so I've become obsessed with this meat um, and pepperoni. And then my next meal is a repeat of my first meal, so it's quest chips and the second half of the peanut butter cup. and then, after that, I start switching into higher fat stuff. So my final meal, um, sorry, that's not true. My second to last meal is a keto meal. So it's ultra high fat, uh, moderate protein, virtually no carbohydrate. And then my final meal is, again, it's keto. So it's ultra high fat, moderate protein, virtually no carbohydrate. But this time it's a, like a snack and it's um, high fat Cups, So kind of if you think of a peanut butter cup, but they're not peanut butter. They're mint. uh, Delicious. I'm a total freak. So Monday through Thursday is exactly that, exactly the same the whole time. Then on Friday, my first um, two meals are the same, and then we do a team lunch. So normally I have a burger without the bun, no sauce, so it's just going to be a burger and maybe bacon. Um, And then after that, I I usually skip a meal there because that meal is usually quite big. And then um, it's keto after that, so I'll do another keto meal at night and then the keto snack again. As my final meal, and then Saturday is like my do- my day of much and infinite joy, um, but I don't cheat, so um, I still don't have. Um, I, I avoid carbs. I just um, I put on fat very very easily, so I find if I eat carbs that um, I start putting on fat. So I still keep my carbs very very low. I'm still keto. And in fact, Saturday and Sunday are my ultra high keto days. Um, so I all day am doing um, high fat, low protein, virtually no carbohydrate, but I'll have. Uh, as many calories as I want on Saturday. And so it's um, thoroughly enjoyable. So I'm having things like macadamia nuts, and um, I'll have a burger, though that you have to be careful because burger has a fair amount of protein in it. But I'll have, you know, burgers, I'll have eggs, I'll have um, more pepperoni, more gyro meat, which is a quite fatty meat. Um, and just, yeah, as many calories as I want. It's amazing. I love it. Uh, and then
0: Sunday is very similar to Saturday, but I moderate my calories. Nice. I, so you do your high protein in the morning, of, of course, because that's when you're working out and then a lot of fat later in the day. You can probably sustain yourself and your mental capacity a lot later and not hit that mid-afternoon slump like so many people get. What, what days of the week do you, uh, do you do your workouts? I'm curious. Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday. Okay. When you're doing more more high protein, yeah, that that makes sense, and you get to uh, enjoy yourself on Saturday. That's so important. Yes, definitely. That's uh, that's awesome. Well, Tom, this has been uh, yeah, this has been really fun. You've had a ton of of nuggets and uh, actionable stuff. It's been fun to uh, to compare notes and and. Get into the uh, into the details about what your life looks like. Uh, yeah, sounds like you're you're super regimented, and uh, yeah, you pay attention to the details. Obviously, you're founder of a nutrition company, so I would expect nothing less. But I'm glad to hear that you're you're walking the walk, and uh, then of course talking the talk, and getting people to to unlock their potential uh, over at Impact Theory.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, man. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, you got it, Tom. Can you tell everybody where they can hear more about you and uh, if they want to tune into your show?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I'm hyperactive socially. You can find me at at Tom My last name is spelled B as in Bravo, I-L-Y-E-U. Um, I'm really, really active on YouTube, on Facebook, Instagram. Um, so yeah, jump in. The water's warm.
0: Awesome, Tom. That sounds good. This is Matt Wilson and Tom You signing out on the Live Different Podcast. Hope to see you guys soon. Yo, Live Different Podcast listeners, you know what to do. You love the episode if you listened this far. Go to iTunes. Show us some love. Please, that's all we ask, a little five-star review. Just a little review. That's all we need. Send it to a friend who needs to get their ass in gear. We're trying to do good work here and we need your help. Hey, you know what? Special offer. Send me an email personally. I will write back. Matt at under30experiences.com. I want to know your feedback and then I want to meet you in person. Maybe our yoga retreat, maybe our fitness retreat. Who knows? Check out under30experiences.com. Go do something awesome with your life.